Welcome to Crypto Girls with Dylan and Katie. We're here to help everyone understand what's happening in the crypto space, why it matters, and how you can be a part of shaping it. We're really excited to share this episode today. It's really for people who wonder about the legality of crypto assets. We've been wanting to have a lawyer on here for so long, and we finally found a great lawyer called Cryptones on Twitter who really went in. Broke everything down for us. He's anonymous. He cannot tell us where he works, who he is. So we trust that he's a lawyer based on our conversation, but obviously we don't know for sure. We have no way to verify that, but he was really knowledgeable and we'll drop his socials in the episode description as well. But anyway, it's been a big few weeks in the crypto world. You may have seen that some of the markets are crashing a little bit. Dylan, I know you've been researching a lot of this and just staying up on it. So do you want to give us a quick overview? Yeah, I would say definitely crashing. It's been actually really sad on Twitter. There was a point where people were posting suicide hotline numbers. So we definitely want to be sensitive to that and like the severity of how much money people have actually lost. But we also want to report on what's been going on. So I feel like I have a better handle on what's going on now a few days later. I found a really great resource if anyone wants to take a look. Coindesk is a really popular crypto news platform and they have Coindesk TV. And there's a show called The Hash and they report live on the biggest stories and help connect the dots a little bit. So this morning I was just watching all of them. So here are my high level takeaways of what I've been learning. And we will link everything for you if you want to dig deeper. You've probably seen some of the headlines of Terra, or Luna, Terra and Luna are are cryptocurrencies and Terra is called a stable coin. So it's supposed to be pegged to the dollar. So it's supposed, the price of it is supposed to mirror to the dollar. A lot of people lost money on this and we're going to cover this in a really in-depth episode. But my takeaway of what happened with UST is that people are also conflating that this is happening to NFTs as well. Like Morgan Stanley, I think posted an article saying that like, NFTs are next, which very well may be true. And probably there will be more of a downturn in the NFT space. But I still think it's important to recognize that, you know, crypto and NFTs are different. They're obviously linked, but we shouldn't totally conflate what happened with UST and what's happening with NFTs. So just a note there, we'll obviously go more into that. Additionally, if there is a downturn in the NFT market, that's not just due to bad actors in the space. It's also due to the state of the global markets, which are all suffering right now. And I think from a cultural perspective, as I said, Twitter has sort of calmed down a bit. But last week, we really did see a different side of crypto Twitter. We usually have this fun meme sharing space. And last week, it was very serious. I think literally people lost their lives. And so that was just, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say just for context, so Terra or UST, whatever you want to call it, went, you know, lost like I think 99% of its value, right? Yeah. And like it it went down to like, wasn't it like four cents and it had been at, or one cent and it had been at a dollar? It was supposed to be pegged to the dollars because it's allegedly a stable coin, but it lost its peg to the dollar. And high level, it's because there was a high level of sell-off. People were shorting it. And it was at an institutional level. So it was like billions of dollars were being pulled out 
And so that caused a lot of people oh, to lose yeah. their money. And so the so it went down to, I think, seven cents was the lowest, which might be like today. Originally, it only went down to like 70 cents. Right. Which but that was still significant. significant. Yeah. But now we're at seven cents. So yeah. it's gotten worse and worse. I just brought that up because, you know, that's why people were actually taking their lives. People were losing their life savings. So obviously this is not financial advice, but do your own research, you know, know, know what you're getting into before you put your money into these kinds of things. But yeah. And I would say people might be like, well, why, why this coin? Why were people so heavily invested in this coin? And I can say that it's, connected to something called Anchor Protocol. It's a basically like an extremely high yield savings account. The standard APY is probably anywhere between 1.5 and like 1.2% APY. Imagine investing in Anchor Protocol, which gives you 20% APY. So people were really excited that they could have this extremely high yield savings account. They thought that it was relatively risk adverse because it was pegged to the US dollar. As we now know, it didn't work. It was not actually pegged to the US dollar. So that's why people were investing in this. So two little vocab words that came up in the episode with Cryptones before we get into our conversation with him. One of them is Azuki, which is an NFT project, major NFT project that was kind of all over crypto and NFT Twitter earlier this year. I think yeah, for, reached- for reference, it was like on par with Board Apes and Doodles, which are top three projects. Yeah. And I think it was hitting highs of over 20 ETH at one point. Anyway, it turned out that the founder has previously been involved in some NFT projects that turned out to be rug pulls, meaning like the founding team either disappeared or ran away with the money. So anyway, not a great look for Azuki. I think the prices are still mostly holding, but that was kind of a major hit for a major project. So that's something I believe Cryptones mentioned during our conversation. And then the other one he mentioned is Fidenza, which is kind of a blue chip NFT project that I feel like has more overlap with the traditional art world. Yeah. Fidenzas were created by Tyler Hobbs, who's an artist, and he posted his NFTs on Artblocks, which is more of like a art tailored website for generative NFT projects. It's probably the most highly regarded marketplace from like an art world perspective because they're actually pretty aesthetic and they you know have some real history based on the generative art movement which is a real movement that's recognized by the art world and Tyler Hobbs's Fidenza was actually shown at Sotheby's recently in a generative art auction so And with that, that's that more to come on the Terra UST situation. But until then, here is our conversation with Cryptones. Enjoy. Introduce yourself. Sure. And tell us who you are and tell us about your background and kind of how you got into crypto law. So I am a securities lawyer. I And what that means is I deal often with public offerings, but also private offerings. I can get into what that is, but of securities, dealing with the SEC, dealing with FINRA and all the different regulatory agencies. Also work on mergers and acquisitions, which deal with the buying and selling of both public and private companies. Also deal with venture capital, which is the raising of capital for startups. And 
I've always been into crypto. Crypto is my passion. I think it's an incredibly exciting space. I have focused a lot on NFTs as of late because I find it incredibly fascinating, both from an academic and legal perspective, but also a technological perspective. At the end of the day, though, my fascination with crypto comes from, I think, my my passion for the promise of Web3. And Web3 to me means a new internet in which we, the users, own, develop, and control the internet. And that's a market break from the internet that we've lived under for our entire lives. So... First of all, Dylan and I have been looking to talk to a lawyer for so long. I swear we are broken records on this, on this podcast so many times. We've been like, can someone please find us a lawyer to talk about this? So just for our listeners, we found Cryptones on Twitter thanks to a thread that he wrote about Board Ape Yacht Club's Metaverse Land Drop, The Other Side, something we've also talked about on the pod. So really brief refresher, Yuga Labs, the parent company of Board Apes, is creating their own metaverse called The Other Side. A few weeks ago, they sold plots of land in that metaverse as NFTs. There was a huge rush on the land. It created a huge gas war on the Ethereum blockchain. People were paying crazy high fees just to end up with no land. Total mess. I believe we talked about it in the, the introduction from two episodes ago, if you want a refresher. But basically... Cryptones made this awesome Twitter thread in which you said the other side sale was, quote, likely an unregistered securities offering. So let's just take a step back, break it down like we're five. What are securities and why do they matter for NFTs? I love it. I absolutely love it. So by the way, when I talk about this stuff, I'm not giving legal advice to anyone. This is just simply my opinion. And And neither are we. (laughs) Yeah, Not financial advice, not legal advice. Not financial advice either. So what are securities? Great question, actually. I remember when I first stepped into my securities regulation class in law school, I was like, shit, what are securities? And I was in law school at the time and I didn't even know what they were. So a security is a instrument, I guess you could call it. It's any sort of thing that you sell for the purpose of raising capital or for the purpose of evidencing ownership of a company or of really anything, right? So under the Securities Act, the definition of securities is long, but it includes securities, bonds, notes, offering, you know, derivatives, you know, chattel paper, right? And then there's a definition of securities, which is investment contract. And that's the catch-all. But before I get to the investment contract part, I think it is worth stating like a security is just simply a token in some ways, right? A non, you know, it could might not be a digital token, right? It could just be some token of ownership of a company or of a partnership or a limited liability company, or an interest in a project, right? So you can sell securities to raise capital for building a bridge or for financing a video game, right? So, but the thing that distinguishes securities is that you're buying something that today is probably worthless, but might be worth something in the future if the issuer of the security fulfills his or her promise to you and does stuff to make that security valuable, right? And so this is the whole, like the core conception 
behind securities that are so dangerous for consumers or for investors, right? Because it's the easiest thing to sell to investors, right? Our securities, which is why there's so much regulation behind them, right? So think about it like this. Any great salesman can promise you the world, but if they're selling you a car, you can look at the car and say, that doesn't line up or that doesn't really meet what you're saying, right? Or they're selling you a new home, right? You go in, the realtor is incredible. She's sweeping her off your feet. But at the end of the day, if the home doesn't match what she's saying, you can see that. With the security, you can't because what they're selling you on is a future stake in the profits of an enterprise that have yet to be right? They're going to come according to the salesman, according to the issuer, but they're not here yet. This is a very dangerous territory for a investor because of rug pulls, as everyone in Web3 is well aware of. Whenever you're the sale of the instrument that you're selling to evidence ownership or some stake or claim in a future endeavor is conditioned on someone else not you, someone else honoring their promises to you, their commitments to the project. That is when you get into very dangerous territory. And so that is high level what securities are. But there's actually a formal definition in the law. The formal definition was, was created in 1946 in a case called Howey v. the SEC. And a lot of people now in the crypto space know a lot about Howie because of how important it is for defining and distinguishing between a token that is a security or likely a security versus tokens that are not a security. So let me give you an example of a token that is not a security. Bitcoin is not a security. Why? Because it doesn't fulfill one of the core the core conditions of what is a security, which I'll get to in a second. Ethereum is likely not a security. Why? Because the SEC has basically told us that, even though they won't fully commit to it. But it's for the same reason that Bitcoin is not a security. And so what is a security under the Howey test? Well, what is that? I mean, you want me to go into Howey real quick? Yeah, why not? Okay. Go for it. So in Howey, there's a company. And the company owns a big plot of land. And that plot of land is an orange grove or could be an orange grove if it was fertile and cultivated, but it's not. Howie wants to cultivate it, but Howie doesn't have any money to cultivate it. So what does Howie do? Howie comes up with a scheme. And when I say scheme, I don't mean nefarious scheme. He just comes up with a plan. His plan is this. There are a lot of residents of Florida but there are a lot of people that come to Florida to stay on vacation. What he's going to do is he's going to advertise to these people that are out of state that come in to buy a plot of land in the Howie Orange Grove. Not rent it, but buy it. Buy the plot of land. So he's going to subdivide it, and each parcel of land he's going to sell to a prospective investor. But there's a catch. Since these investors are out of state and they're not farmers, they're not going to be able to tend to the land, but that's okay, Howie says, because we're also going to sign a service agreement in which you give me full and complete rights to manage the property, manage the land for you, cultivate the land for you for the next 10 years. 
and you have no rights in the land, even though you own it. So basically, the value of the land is worthless today, but could be valuable later on if Howie does what he says he's going to do, which is cultivate the land, grow some orange trees on it, bring those oranges to market. You can see the precarious position that any investor in this scheme would be in, right? They could buy a worthless plot of land and could make a profit if Howie uh, fulfills his obligations to them. Or they could buy a worthless piece of land and Howie could rug and just move to Michigan and buy a condo, right? And so in that context, the SEC raised a very suspicious eyebrow and looked into it. Right. So I was going to say my next question was, I guess, why does the government care? But I guess the answer would be otherwise people would just raise money and run off with it all the time. Government actually cares for that reason very much so, but it cares for another reason more importantly. Taxes? And the, No, not taxes. Uh, it, it, it deals with the year 1929 and the Great Depression. And in the Great Depression, what happened? Well, there was a massive frenzy of buying worthless stocks. And what did a lot of unknowing investors do? They bought a lot of junk and a massive amount of the nation's capital went into stocks that were worthless, total misallocation of resources, which caused a systemic crash. Because once everyone realized that most of these stocks were junk, not unlike 2008 with credit default swaps and collateralized debt obligations, not unlike then in 1929, the whole edifice crumbled. And it didn't just take the US with it, it took all of Europe with it and all the world, which led, of course, inexorably to World War II. And so in the wake of the Great Depression, Franklin Roosevelt created with the help of Congress, or maybe Congress created with the help of Franklin Roosevelt, the Securities Act of 1933, which followed by, was followed by the Securities Act of 1934. And those were meant to regulate rug pulls, basically. And the way the SEC deals with this is very clever, although it is very slow moving. And frankly, I'm a big critic of it, and I could get to that later. But the way they deal with it is very clever. What, what they say is, what they say is, listen, we're not going to prevent anyone from issuing securities. But in order to issue securities, you got to register them. And to register them, you have to fill out these documents, these forms. And what are the forms? The forms require you to go in perspicuous detail, massive amount of time to disclose every potential material fact about the prospective investment to investors in order to provide them full and fair and complete information. And they also pair that with an enforcement mechanism in which if you have any material misstatements or omissions in those disclosures, you could get sued both civilly, meaning sued for money by the SEC or by shareholders, or you could be charged criminally under by the Justice Department of the United States. And so that's how they prevent rug pulls. What they say is, listen, we can't predict the future. We can't predict who's going to be a rug puller and who's not. However, we've set up a system in which in order to sell your securities to the public, meaning retail investors, 
you have to do full and fair disclosure, and then we let the retail investors decide. So, so I guess, okay, so let's go back to the other side for yep. a minute, yep. which is what your Twitter thread was about. So the SEC looks at Howie and says, that's an unregistered security. And Howie goes, are you kidding me? I'm selling plots of land. How is that an unregistered security? Not unlike how many of my people in the comments were like, are you kidding me? Other side, they sold plots of land in the metaverse. That's not a security, right? To which the SEC said, yes, it is. It falls under the definition of an investment contract. Now, unfortunately, there was no definition of investment contract in the 1933 Act. And so the Supreme Court of the United States had to decide what it meant. And in deciding what that meant, they promulgated a four-part test. And the four-part test goes as follows. You are issuing a security if, one, you buy it with money, two, The thing you're buying is in a collective or common enterprise. Three, you're buying it with the expectation of profit. Four, that expectation of profit is to be derived from the managerial or entrepreneurial efforts of others, mainly the promoters of the project. I'll break each one of those down in the context of other side because that's a mouthful. What does that actually mean? First, according according to Howie, you don't it's not a security if you didn't pay for it, you didn't buy it with money. There was an exchange of money, right? And so some commenters were like, well, I didn't spend money on other side land. I spent it on, I, I use ApeCoin. And ApeCoin, as if ApeCoin's not money, right? So basically what the SEC says is now, what they say is it is an exchange of value, right? So yeah, it could be money. It could be your house. It could be a deed to your home. It could be your Yeezy sneakers, or it could be ApeCoin, right? It doesn't really matter. And by the way, Bitcoin is pretty clearly money because it's got a market, you know the price, you buy it with ETH or whatever other token you want, and you buy ETH or whatever token you want with US dollars. So you basically can link it to money. So that's pretty clear. Okay. Other side land sale definitely fulfills that condition. Let's go to the next condition. In a common enterprise. What's a common enterprise? Well, this one's actually kind of confusing. So A common enterprise means it's not personal to you. It is buying into something in which the other people that are buying into it are similarly situated to you, right? So, for example, a rare pair of Yeezy sneakers that's auctioned, right? You're not buying into a common enterprise. You don't, no one else owns those Yeezy sneakers. If anyone else does own the Yeezy sneakers, like you don't really care. Your in your purchase of those Yeezy sneakers doesn't depend on other people purchasing the Yeezy sneakers, right? It's personal to you. Third is with the expectation of profits, meaning you're buying the plot of land in the metaverse with the expectation of profits. Now, this is actually sounds straightforward, but it's a little confusing because a lot of people have responded to my post and they've said, well, Yuga Labs never said anything to suggest that the land sale would be profitable. As if the security laws don't apply if you don't say anything, right? Like if that were the rule, then every single company on earth could issue unregistered securities as long as they kept their mouths shut and didn't say anything about it at all, right? Of course, that's not the rule, right? It is instead if the manner in which the securities were issued would give a reasonable interpretation, it would give a reasonable impression in the mind of the purchaser that 
they were for profit, then it is a security. I can go more into that, but it's basically an objective test, right? Would a reasonable person think that buying this would result in profits down the road, right? What makes the Yuga land sell, you know, suggest that people bought the land for profit, for the expectation of profit? Well, besides the fact that literally everyone was talking about how this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to make a ton of money, putting all of those aside, Yuga created a secondary market for their ApeCoin in which to buy the land, i.e. the securities, right? And the secondary market would go up and it would go down in ApeCoin, right? But the value of the land was fixed at 305.8. But by virtue of the secondary market buying this land, and by virtue of the secondary market that you can buy and sell the land on, there is a massive expectation of profit there. Here's the most important part, though, is the fourth condition. And if this condition didn't hold, then the land sale would probably be above board, which is that the purchase of land relied on the future efforts of Yugo Labs, their future managerial and entrepreneurial efforts. The realization of profit in the land re relied on them to fulfill their promises to the investors. What is that promise? It's very simple. Deliver a fully functioning metaverse, right? If the metaverse had been developed and they were buying a plot of land in the metaverse that they looked at, they played in, they were hanging out in, like, I like this. This is my new plot. Well, that probably wouldn't be a security because you don't rely on Yuga Labs for anything for that sale. But in that case, are all NFT securities or is there something unique about the other side? Great question. There is something unique about the other side. That's not to say that a lot of NFTs would, prop, would be considered securities. That might be the case. But there's a lot of NFTs that are not considered securities. So I'll first talk about why a lot of most NFTs are probably not securities. And then I'll talk about what distinguishes the Yuga land sale from those projects. So for example, if you buy a Fidenza, which is my favorite NFT artist, that is objectively not a security. I am willing to challenge anyone to debate me on whether a Fidenza is a security. It is not. Why? Well, first, for the first part, when you buy a Fidenza, you're buying a Fidenza. That's all you're getting, right? Secondly, it doesn't rely on Fidenza to do anything going forward. In fact, if Fidenza died or Tyler Hobbs died, the price of the Fidenza wouldn't go down. It would, it would skyrocket. Now, compare that to Azuki, right? Or to compare that to Yuga land sale. Imagine tomorrow Yuga announced they're out. Peace. They're not developing it anymore. It's not a good deal. It doesn't make sense. It's not cool. Whatever. Would the value of land go up or go down? It would go. Yeah. What, what, where would it go? It would go down. It would crash, just like Azuki crashed. Why? Well, one could imagine a world in which the metaverse had already been developed, right? And it had been decentralized. And so if Yuga's out, doesn't matter, because now it's an autonomous being, right? It's run by a decentralized DAO or something, right? And it doesn't rely on the efforts of Yuga Labs anymore. But as of right now, today, and as of the day of purchase of the land, Yuga Labs sold deeds to a metaverse that doesn't yet exist. 
or if it does exist, no one knows about it. No one has any material information about it, right? So for most NFT projects, where they get close to the security territory is the more type of stuff they pack into their roadmap. And I really actually want to start, and I'm just thinking about this, about this now, but we, but it was informed in part by a lot of the Twitter spaces I was in last night. I think there's a little bit of a backlash brewing against these roadmaps, right? Like we should really try to push away from these roadmaps. One, they're ridiculous in many respects, right? Two, they are binding the the the, the project managers, the, the promoters of the project to this in like lifetime shackles to the project, in which case if they ever leave, right, it was a rug. The other thing is like, most of them are ridiculous, right? And the more ridiculous they get, the more likely they are to be securities. Why? Because what the SEC would say is you're not really buying that that little cute penguin. You're buying an interest in a project that claims it's going to develop X, Y, or Z, which is going to be profitable to you later on down the road. So this is interesting because the example of the Tyler Hobbs Fidenza that was posted on art blocks, which isn't considered more of an art platform. The other projects that exist like PFP projects, that's not really art. So what is it without the utility and why would people want to buy it if there was no roadmap? I do consider it art actually, but let's put that aside for a second. So debatable. Well, very debatable for sure. But (laughs) I, I'm constantly cautious not to call something art when in the impressionist era, like literally art, art curators thought what they did was not just not art, it was degenerate art, right? It was disgusting. It was a perversion of art, right? It was like anyone who criticizes any of the NFT art today, like that is a mild, mild criticism compared to what even Picasso got or Jackson Pollock got when they first started, right? Andy Warhol got a lot of it as well when he first started. So I think art is constantly evolving. And I think that it is responsive to the mediums in which technology gives us. But let's assume for the sake of argument, maybe it's art, maybe it's not. I don't think the Board Ape Yacht Club sales were were securities at all. I'm saying the original Board Ape Yacht Club sale the Mutinate Yacht Club sale, the kennel. No, I don't think those were securities. Why? Because most people bought them to be a member of the club. The membership was immediate, right? Yes, they did have a little bit of a roadmap, but the roadmap was like subsequent drops and things that were really, you know, they were, they were, they were not so important to the purchase, in my judgment, that you could consider it a security. Also, Here's the other thing. The purchase of the board ape didn't really rely on the efforts of Yuga Labs going forward because, you know, the purchase of it, you had it immediately, right? It wasn't an interest in something else, right? It wasn't like, oh, I own this board ape and therefore I have an interest in Yuga Labs or I have an interest in this project they're building. No, it was your member of the club. What do clubs do? They offer perks, right? And the SEC has been pretty clear about this, that issuing golf club memberships, for example, is not a security, right? So I think memberships in clubs 
are not securities, but they could be securities. And by the way, it's important for me to stress, and I always forget about this part, it is a case-by-case analysis. There are no bright line rules, right? There are no set of rules that if you you follow these rules, you are 100% not a security, or if you follow these rules, you're 100% a security, right? It's fact-specific, case-specific in each each, uh, single issuance. So, yeah. And who is making that call? About whether or not it's a security. Great question. So the SEC can make that call, but also investors in the project can make that call. So I was planning on writing a post about this tonight, but I'll write one about it right now. But actually, this is not really bearing on securities, but one could argue that Azuki NFTs were securities and that the holders of Azuki securities can sue Azuki for some sort of damages, right? So you can either have a private right of action under US law, in which case you can sue the company for securities for a securities violation privately. And that's happening right now with NBA Top Shop. So NBA Top Shop is currently being sued in a class action privately. The SEC is not going after them, but their whole their users are. Or you could be you could be sued by the SEC or you could be charged by the Justice Department. And speaking of charges, so what happens if you are the owner of something that, you know, right now, like the other side land, that's kind of murky whether or not that's a security. What happens to you if the government does come in and say, oh, you know what, you know, this this was a security. Does that mean the wholesale is illegal? Is it void? Like what happens to the individual? Phenomenal question, Katie. And actually, I didn't do a very good job on this in my post, but unbeknownst to me while writing the post, apparently you can run out of you know threads on Twitter. I didn't know that. At least when I was writing it, it wouldn't let me do any more. So the holders of land have no liability unless they were promoting the land to third parties. But let's exclude that case for the time being. So if you're just a bystander that bought land, you have no you have no civil liability, you have no criminal liability, but you have a big financial personal liability because if the SEC designates land to be a security, the first thing that's going to happen is OpenSea is going to delist land from their exchange and every other NFT exchange is going to follow suit, which is going to crash the market in land. That would be terrible because a lot of people spent a lot of money on land, right? And that would be horrible. Now, notice that Yuga Labs still get has their money. Now, that if, if SEC wins against them, they would have to pay a fine or, or have to register their land as securities, or they could, you know, depending on how violative they were of the Securities Act, they could face potential charges, although I don't think based on the facts I know today, that there's anything that would indicate that they did anything criminal. But violating the Securities Act does have consequences for the issuer, but it tends to be that the owners of the securities are hit hardest financially, unfortunately. So one of the bigger picture looking ahead questions that we have, how do you think that the government is going to approach regulating crypto? Obviously, we know a little bit about the fact that they are looking into it, but we don't know too much. Do you have any predictions? So 
and this is something really important to stress. It is very difficult to regulate crypto if it is quote deficient uh, if it is quote sufficiently decentralized. Now, what do I mean by that? Actually, the so you one question you could have asked me or anyone could ask me when after saying what I just said is, well, what should NFT issuers do, right? To like avoid this stuff. Like, what are some best practices? And of course, besides the obvious of don't have a ridiculous ridiculous roadmap, right? Promising the world. One way is to create a decentralized DAO. And if the DAO is decentralized, then the fourth condition of the securities analysis for what is a security and what is not doesn't hold, namely that the future, that the expectation of profits doesn't rely on the efforts of the promoters of the project because there are no promoters anymore. It's a decentralized body, right? Which is exactly why Bitcoin and Ethereum are not considered securities, right? You can't point to Vitalik and be like, Vitalik was the one that like made me buy Ethereum, right? I mean, sure. You but could for a, but yeah. for a DAO, don't you have to have under, what's the number? Under like a thousand people? No. Okay. You can structure a DAO any way you want. But the SEC has actually indicated that a sufficiently decentralized DAO would not issue, if they issued tokens, would not be securities, right? I feel like Dylan and I definitely, I feel like we heard, I've heard that rumor too. What, where does that 1000 person, like, quote unquote, rule come from? We were told, I feel like in previous episodes, in multiple previous episodes, that if you keep sales under, like, if you keep the number of NFT or the number of owners of the NFTs under a thousand, then it's not technically a security. Do you think that's just something one lawyer said that got around? I don't think a lawyer said that. I think so. I don't I have no idea who said that. No, that that certainly is not the case. Um, <laughs> oh, so wow. That's objectively not true. I mean, but, but some DAOs are only accredited investors. So great point. So if you want to have a DAO that's like a cool little club of 50 or 60 people, right? And you want to issue tokens, right? Then yes, they all need to be accredited investors. So I'm glad you brought up the accredited investor point. So how so I so far what I've been talking about is if you want to issue securities to the public, meaning to retail investors, meaning to people who are not accredited investor. What's an accredited investor? It's someone who's rich, basically. And there are certain limits and everything, but I think this is one of the most egregious parts of the Securities Act, honestly, and the way the SEC is in, in enforce this stuff. So you could be a PhD student in finance at Wharton and you're in $300,000 of student debt and you're not able to buy private restricted securities. But Or you could be some rich kid who just inherited a lot of money and you're total dipshit, don't know anything, and you can buy anything you want, right? Does that make any sense to anyone, right? Not only that, what's the impact on the average retail investor? The, the impact is the following. Well, first of all, what's the implication? If you're poor or if you're not rich, you're you're not sophisticated enough to own securities that we didn't sanction, right? That we, the SEC, did not put our stamp of approval on, which I think is kind of condescending. But the the impl- the, the result is that you've got massive wealth inequality because the only ind- the only groups out there that are able to buy restricted securities are accredited investors. And by the way, the reason that's important is because buying a restricted security is buying at the bottom, right? It's buying when the company hasn't 10X or 20X or 50X. 
By the time the company is 50X, that's when they go public. And that's when you, the peasants, the retail investors can buy the, the security. But all of the growth has already been gobbled up by the VC funds and the institutional investors, right? So, but for a DAO that only lets in accredited investors, what they're saying is, we are going to issue you tokens. We are going to raise capital to buy stuff in this DAO, right? We can't raise capital from you unless you satisfy an exemption under the Securities Act. And one of those exemptions are that you can't raise from more than, I think it's 100 people, capital from more than 100 people, but they all have to be accredited investors, right? I got to double check on that, the exact number, but that's one of the exemptions. So basically, you can raise capital from the public markets, but only if you limit it and make sure it's limited by only accredited investors. Is it game time? It's game time. So <laughs> every week we play a game with our guests at the end of an episode. So this week we made a special lawyer edition game just for you. If you Amazing. can, off the top of your head, tell us three activities in the crypto space that people are taking part in now, whether it's selling NFTs or as unregistered securities or, I don't know, trading and not paying their taxes, whatever. Those are just two examples. But tell us three activities in the crypto space that you think will be illegal in five years. So, okay. I actually don't think anything will be illegal in, in the next five years. I think that it will be regulated. Um, and that might sound like a distinction without a difference, but regulated like a full out ban, I don't think you can ban anything in crypto. It will just move offshore. And because we live in a global decentralized internet era that you can't prevent, unless you can prohibit every single American from accessing the internet and accessing decentralized protocols, you're not going to be able to prevent it. Anyone with an Ethereum node can access access any protocol on Ethereum. It's impossible to ban without banning all of the nodes. And you're not going to be able to go inside someone's apartment and find their node, right? Or prevent them from syncing up to Infura and, and accessing a node, even if they shut down the UX. I do think, though, that, I mean, there are some things that are clearly unregistered security offerings in the NFT space. Like I was in a Twitter spaces the other day, and like someone was talking about how they, and, and I'm sorry if anyone is listening that is behind this project because they sounded so innocent and nice, but like they're making a movie, like a real film, and they're raising capital from issuing NFTs, which if you own the NFT, you can partake in the ownership of the copyright of the movie and receive profits from the movie. I'm like, dude, that is an unregistered security. I mean, like, like, I'm sorry, but like, you can't do that. I didn't say that, but like, so there are going to be some crackdowns there. The problem is that it's all regulation by enforcement. That's what's, that's a technical term, which means the SEC is not creating new rules or clarifying existing rules. All they're doing is they're going after certain discrete players and by going after them, they're signaling to everyone else that, hey, don't do the stuff they did. Wait, so is the part of that movie that makes it a security the fact that there's profit sharing or just the general 
participation? Great question, Dylan. Let's go through the conditions again. Ready? First, is there an exchange of money? <laughs> yes. Two, is it a common enterprise? Yes, because a lot of people are buying stakes into the movie. Third, mm-hmm. with the expectation of profits, yes. They think they're going to be able to own the IP of the, the copyright of the movie. They're going to mm-hmm. partake in the profits. And does it depend on the efforts of the movie producers, right? The guys that are selling these NFTs, yes, right? Like they could rug, right? Like, I, yeah. guess, I guess really how we should think about securities are like, could they rug us, right? And would the NFT as a result be completely worthless, right? I think the answer is clearly, yeah, but that opens the door to like, well, like, does that mean all NFTs are, all PFP projects are worthless, right? And I think like to be charitable to the NFT space, I think that these like roadmaps that exist that went crazy over the last six months, like Mm -hmm. they, like nobody bought CryptoPunks because of a roadmap. I don't think many people bought Board Apes because of a roadmap, right? Like. For the first like eight months of 2021, there were awesome projects that were not really promising the world. Like you go to you go to Pudgy Penguins, they got like no roadmap, right? And that project sold out. So, you know, I I don't think you can conclude that like any project with a roadmap is by definition unregistered security. You gotta you gotta just see and 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 look at it and and, and it's a judgment call, but it's also fact specific. Something we didn't talk about, insider trading, alpha chats. I have so many questions. How is that not illegal? That's a great question. So if the things that they're trading are considered securities, then it would be insider trading. If they're not considered securities, there could still be liability there because of you know different anti-fraud laws that exist, right? But it's a great question. So like, for example, if you pump Bitcoin right now, right, or you dump Bitcoin because you're a whale, there is a genuine open question that exists right now amongst securities lawyers as to whether or not you did anything illegal. Right? Imagine for a second you owned the most Yeezys in the world and you immediately listed them on eBay for like five bucks each, right? And they're brand new. That would probably like sort of tank the Yeezy market, but I don't think you could be accused of market manipulation, right? But a good example is like what Om- what OpenSea did, right? What did OpenSea do? Like they had a guy who was like front running the market, right? They knew which ones would be put, which NFTs would be displayed prominently on OpenSea, and the dude would buy the NFTs before they even hit market. That is definitely a violation of some law, you know, whether it is, you know, a a statute, whether it's fraud or whether it is something else, I, I would have to look into it, but I certainly think that that is that the, that some of these alpha chats are definitely violating a bunch of different rules and different laws. And they're probably committing fraud against the members of the alpha chats because they might be pumping something and then having those members be bag holders rather than actual participants in the gains of the pump. I feel like that just brings us back to like what happens when you give people the power. They're not going to follow the rules. So that's a great point. There is some sense, right, where it's like, listen, if you're in crypto, you know, 
you got to be expect to get robbed once in a while. Right. And yeah. you just got to smarten up. Like I lost 13 grand. I, it was a brilliant scheme. I had a coin and I'm on YouTube and like, it was an account that was titled the name of the coin and it had a ton of followers. Right. And I, and you appear to see the founder of the coin speaking and it said, click this link to exchange your current tokens with the new issuance. And there was a fork going on that I thought required new tokens based on the, like it's, it was so deceiving because it looked like the actual account, right? Like these accounts get hacked, right? Yeah. And I, I sent the coins to this wallet, hoping I was going to get them back. And I just didn't get them back. And that one hurts, obviously. And so that's horrible, right? The question is, how do you actually regulate that, right? Like we already have existing laws on the books, right? Mm-hmm. So when people do that, they're just committing fraud, right? And theft from you. And so like, if the question is, how do we prevent people from breaking the laws? Like, I don't have a good answer for you, but just keep doing the same stuff we're doing. If the question is, how do we prevent people from like doing a new type of activity that's harmful to people? Well, that that might need new rules for sure, or it might need to be you know, might need to adjust the existing rules to capture that conduct. But the 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 most like I don't necessarily think new rules solve the problems because the old rules aren't being enforced. Like, let me just give you one quick example. Like, there is a rule right now under the Securities Act called Reg A plus Regulation A plus. What is Regulation A plus? It's called a mini IPO, meaning it was meant for small issuers. If you wanted to raise twenty million dollars in Tier One, it's called, or twenty or seventy million dollars in Tier Two, right? And only up to those amounts, then you could file an abbreviated S one. It's called. It's a form that you have to fill out, which is very extensive. An abbreviated version, much shorter, which is meant to be cheaper, which is meant to therefore be more accessible to small-time issuers. Here's the problem. It's a perfect candidate for a lot of NFT projects, right? There should be a, a way in which you can have an ambitious roadmap and raise capital through NFTs, but comply with the law by filing under Reg A. The problem is the SEC has never, ever approved a single Reg A offering for a crypto company or an NFT company, right? So the crypto companies that tried to file under Reg A and comply with the law have been just stonewalled. And same with NFT companies. Now compare that to a company like Masterworks. I don't know if you've ever heard of Masterworks, but it's basically a company where they buy really expensive pieces of art, then they fractionalize the real art, you know, like a Picasso or Monet. They fractionalize the art and they sell the fractions on the open market. They registered under Reg A. They were approved under Reg A. So basically we have a situation in which a a real piece of art, you can fractionalize and get approved under Reg A. But an NFT that you wanna fractionalize, they will not allow you to get registered under Reg A and therefore be in compliance with the securities laws, right? It's, It's totally arbitrary. I think it will change over time and the Ripple lawsuit is going to be a big one that I would love to talk about at some future time. But the Ripple lawsuit is going to change the game for everyone one way or another. And it's going to totally redefine what 
is and is not a security in the crypto space and by extension, the NFT space. So keep your eyes on that. Yeah, I'm going to have to read up on that. Thank you. Absolutely. You have given us so much to think about. (laughs) A lot to ponder here. I will. I'll come back anytime. I'm always available on Twitter, Cryptonesy, C-R-Y-P-T-O-N-E-S-Y. Just uh, hit me up anytime. I am always available and love talking about this stuff, as you guys can tell. And and I love what you both are doing. And I wish you so much luck. And I hope to be able to help you with answering any questions going forward. 